One, uh, we have a, several years ago, probably about 20 or 21 years ago now, my wife and I went to Clarkston to visit an uncle that was celebrating his 90th birthday. He was in a nursing home, and his health was such that he didn't have much longer to live, and so the family got together and had a, a big party for him. In the course of the afternoon, somebody looked over, and Warren was sitting in a corner by himself with tears running down his face. And somebody went and asked him, what, what is wrong? And he said, I wish I knew I had done enough. I wish I knew I was going to make it to heaven. Now, you need to understand, Warren had been a pastor all of his adult life. For years, he had served in the Nazarene Church from in various churches over the years. I have no doubt in my mind that Warren knew how to become a Christian. I, I, he, was, he had accepted Christ as his Savior. I believe he was on his way to heaven, but because he was confused about some of the doctrines in Scripture, he just did not have that assurance and peace as he approached his final days. And I thought, what a, what a tragedy. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that uh, we are just being justified by faith. We what? We have peace with God. In First John five thirteen, he says, These things I've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that today because of the scripture and what God has given to us. Last week we looked at the fact that salvation involves an act of faith, an act of grace, and an act of God. It is God who justifies those that come to Christ. I, I really debated whether I should give you a test this morning or not. Remember I gave you all those definitions last week and that chart and so forth, and I thought this would be a good week just, just to give a test. I, I exercised caution, and I refrained from that. I, I didn't get, pass out test papers. But uh, if you recall last week, we began looking at God's great salvation, the, the salvation that God has given to us. And we talked last week of three tenses that relate to salvation. There is the past tense where God has delivered us from what? The penalty of sin. Okay, somebody was listening. Oh, Okay. Oh, you, you've already jumped ahead of me there. Okay. God has delivered us from the penalty of sin. That's the work of justification. That's what we're looking at in chapters 4 and 5 of, of Romans here. It's the act of God the Father whereby he declares the sinner to be righteous through Jesus Christ and to regard us as if we had never sinned. That's justification. Uh, then the second tense is, Sanctification deals with the present tense. God is delivering us from the power of sin. Uh, and if you still struggle with sin, a few honest people out here, <laughs> the rest of you do, you just don't want to admit it. Uh, God's at work in our lives, and we'll look at that in chapter 6 and 7, how we can deal with that. And then the day is coming when God is going to deliver us, save us from the presence of sin. We're going to be with him in glory. And uh, as First John says, we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We're no longer going to have to deal with the presence of sin. But today we're looking at justification. How can we be right with God? And I want to go a little bit beyond that in our thinking. Can we have that assurance of salvation? Can we know 
that we've been born again? Can we know that we're headed for heaven? Is that possible, or do we have to be saved plus add something to that so that we are sure of, of, of getting to heaven there? Well, Paul argues here that we are justified by faith. And he reveals, first of all, that our salvation today rests and this is a two-part message, okay? So uh, you're going to actually have four points. I'm only going to give you two this morning. Get the other two, you have to come back next week. Uh, if you don't come back next week, then you're going to struggle with, um, am I really saved or not? No, just <laughs> just, just joking there. But uh, it, it, there are four things that come out of this chapter. And when I first taught this, or when I taught it years ago, I, I did the whole chapter in one week. Either I'm, I'm getting old and I'm slowing down, or I'm finding there's more in Scripture than I thought there was the first time because I just couldn't do it all in, in one week this time. So you're, it's, it's a two-part message. But uh, our salvation, first of all, rests upon the person of God. He begins his argument with a very familiar story, the story of Abraham. It comes out of the book of Genesis. If you recall, God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland I want you to go to a land that, I'm not even going to tell you where it is. Uh, when you get there, I'll tell you that you're there. Uh, how, how would you like to set out on a journey like that? And, and, and so he went, and, and uh, along the way, Lot went with him. And, and if you recall, his nephew Lot and Abraham both prospered in the land of, of Canaan. Uh, and they had so many flocks that they said, you know, we're, we're too much for one area. We, we've got to split up. And so Lot went one way, uh, took the... The, the good land down along the Jordan River, Abraham went the other direction. But in the course of time, Lot got into trouble because he moved into the city of Sodom. And the politics of the day, the five nations came against Sodom, five city-states against Sodom and the surrounding area. And Sodom lost. Lot was taken captive along with the captives from Sodom. Abraham intervenes. He takes his group of men, 300 and some men that he had working for him. They chase after the army. They win a tremendous victory there. They bring back the spoils. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, the Lord comes and speaks to Abraham. And he said to him, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, Abraham had a just reason, I believe, to be afraid. He had in a sense, been neutral before this. He was living in the land and yet was not involved in the politics of the land and so forth. And now suddenly, because of Lot, he's drawn into the battle of the surrounding nations. And in those days, if you lost a battle, what did you do? You looked for an opportunity to get revenge. And so Abraham became a target. The surrounding nations would be wanting to take their revenge on Abraham and so he had a lot to be afraid of at this point in time. But God said, you don't need to be afraid. I'm your shield. I'll be your reward. I will watch out for you there. And Abraham says, well, what good is that if you don't give me a child, an heir? And, and the Lord reveals to him that I'm going to give you a child uh, through Sarah. And uh, we come down to verse 6 that we read, he believed in the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed that God could do the impossible. Abraham, 
uh, when the next time he receives this promise, Abraham is 99 years old, Sarah is 90 years old, and yet he still believes that God is able to do what he said. He put his faith and trust in God, his shield there. Uh, Hebrews reveals to us that Abraham walked by faith. It was an exercise of faith on, on his part as he walked through this life. Uh, actually, he walked all of his life without receiving many of the promises that God had. But God said, you know what? I'm not ashamed to be called his God because I have something better prepared for Abraham. I have a city in the heavens. I, I have an eternal destiny for him. But as we look at that verse there in Genesis 15, verse 6, notice he says it was counted to him as righteousness. The word he uses for counted, as it comes out here in our translation, is it was reckoned to him. That's a bookkeeping term. Now, some of you are bookkeepers. You know know what it is, what that idea is. Abraham... If, or if, if you owed a bill today and you got a notice from our, our city or a vista or whoever it is uh, that your power or your water was about to be shut off, and, and I heard about it, and if I was in a good mood and I heard about it and I had the money, if I went down and paid that bill for you, it would be credited to your account. It would be reckoned to your account, not to mine, but to yours, and you would no longer owe that bill. That's the word that he's using here. Uh, Paul hastens to add it was put to Abraham's account not because of works but notice he jumps ahead in his thinking in verse 6 he he moves from Abraham to David and he says blessed are those whose deeds all his deeds have been forgiven and so forth why why the switch here he's actually quoting from Psalm 32 in Psalm 32 David is recalling the time of his sin with Bathsheba, writing about it and so forth, and the forgiveness that God brought to him. Now, David was guilty there of adultery, of murder, of deception. David deserved to be put to death. That was the penalty for at least two of his crimes at, at that point. Now, if you're the king, you can perhaps get away from some of the the technicalities of the law, but technically he deserved to die. He, he had broken two of the major commandments there and was to be put to death. But God graciously forgave him. There was no way that David could pay for that sin. He could not go back and undo what he did. He, he couldn't make restitution for it. A life had been taken and, and, and it was just impossible for David to pay that debt. How was it possible for God to forgive David? In, in some 49, he speaks of the fact, uh, beginning in, in verse uh, 7 there, uh, I think, think I went, yeah, verse 7, he says, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly. He should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not go undergo decay there. David, as he wrote that, was well aware that he could not pay for his sin. He could not redeem his life. He could not redeem the life of somebody else. The only way possible for the forgiveness of sin was through the work of Jesus Christ. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he had to go to die in in our behalf. Uh, Years ago, we used to sing a little chorus, We owed a debt. We could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. The price that God demanded for sin was, he said in Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth it shall die, 
But he also reveals the fact there that it's through the blood that we have forgiveness. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ there. And so he says in Psalm 49, you might as well cease trying. You can't do it. You can't earn your salvation. The only one that can is Jesus Christ. He is the one that paid the price for us. So when Paul comes to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, he simply says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not believe and add works to it. Not believe and and keep the law. He simply says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why was he qualified to die for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, he became sin for us who knew no sin. He was the, the perfect one, the spotless lamb of God. He went to the cross so that we could have the righteousness of God there. Thus, when he hung there on the cross... He could use that very same word. It is finished. The price has been paid. Our our redemption was completed at that point. The price was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 says, We are redeemed, not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot. Today, our salvation rests not upon our works, not upon what we are able to do. It rests upon the person of God. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And we can rest in that fact today. The the penalty has been paid for us. Our salvation here also rests on the promise of God, verses 9 through 17. He returns to the story of Abraham, and he asks the question, was this blessing a result of faith, or was it a result of faith plus works? And there are a lot of people out there today that would tell us, yes, we're saved by faith, but we got to hang on to the end. I I like the advice of an elder that I had down in cul-de-sac as as he wrestled with that issue. He said, you know, if it was up to me to hold on to the end, I don't think I'd last 10 seconds. He had a very valid point there. We're not told to hold on to the end. We are saved by grace in through faith in in Jesus Christ. The the problem that the first century church wrestled with is, were they really saved by faith in Christ, or or did did they have to be saved and then keep the law? Especially the area of circumcision is what he's he's looking at here. They they spent a, a long time debating that issue in Acts chapter 15, and the conclusion they came to is, you and I are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the law, uh, they realized, you know, if the Jews for centuries could not keep it, what hope do you and I have of keeping the law, of earning our way to heaven? We, we, we just can't do it there. And he goes back, Paul takes us back to the example of Abraham. He says, was Abraham justified by circumcision? Actually, the promise that God gave to him came some 14 years before he was circumcised. And, and so... God had declared him righteous long before the, the right of circumcision was, was given to them as a nation there. Today, we don't stress circumcision. Uh, it's not a requirement for our day and age. Uh, if you want to have your child circumcised for health reasons, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine as well. Uh, it, it doesn't get you into heaven or, or, or keep them out of heaven as well. Today, we stress not circumcision as, as a sign, but in the church, it's baptism. 
That is the sign that we have been born again, that we've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I think we need to recognize, just as he is saying here with circumcision, baptism does not save us. It merely reveals the fact that we have chosen to accept Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior. Sadly, there are those that equate baptism and salvation. I remember years ago, my first church, one of little boys, about eight years of age, accepted Jesus Christ at vacation Bible school. And I mean, that, wouldn't you just love that if some of the kids came and accepted the Lord? I mean, that's what we're, we're here for. So we thought this was great. Until I got a call from the father, the irate father, that said, what are you doing to my child? He doesn't need to accept the Lord. And so I went down to their house and spent several hours visiting with them. I said, well, why do you think your child doesn't need to accept the Lord? So, well, we baptized him as an infant. And so he's guaranteed to get into heaven. I said, where do you get that in Scripture? I, I don't find that in Scripture, but uh, we, we went round and round on those issues for a couple hours with, with him. Uh, he was trusting in baptism to save himself and his family. We found out that he himself had not accepted Christ as Savior either. And it wasn't until after he left the community and got involved in, in Campus Crusade in another community that he came to realize, you know what, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And once he accepted Christ as his personal Savior, then it was fine that his kids came and accepted the Lord. But until that point, he thought, everything is great. We're all, we've all been baptized as infants. We're going to make it to heaven there. I, I had an interesting conversation with him at that point. I said, you know, you have a sister that uh, she was living a very wild life ways of the world, no, nothing to do with God. And I said, now, didn't your parents have her baptized as an infant? And they said, oh, yes, uh, definitely. They, they wouldn't let her go without being baptized. And I said, is she going to get to heaven? He thought about that for a while. And he said, well, you know, she's what we call an unsaved Christian. <laughs> I, I said, what do you mean an unsaved Christian? He says, well, she doesn't believe in God. She's not living for God. But she has been baptized, so God's obligated to get her into heaven somehow. He said, I don't know how or what basis, but uh, uh, I said, I, I wouldn't put much faith and trust in that if I were you. Uh, um, what was the promise? The promise was, believe in Jesus Christ and, and you will, will be saved. As you come down to verse 17 there, it says, I will make you a father of many nations. That was a promise of blessing that God gave to him, and he believed it, even though at that point in time, it was impossible for them to have a child. God said, I'm going to do it. Abraham and Sarah, both of them, when they received that message, you remember what they did? They laughed. Now, you, you know, we like to think that was Sarah. We, we, we put the blame on Sarah there. But if you read the account, Abraham actually laughed first. He, he, he had questions. How in the world is God going to work this out? Do you ever, ever have questions like that? God asks you to do something, and, and you think, how is he going to? I, I don't see how that's going to work. And yet God says, do it, so guess what? We better do it and allow God to, to, to work out his promise his way. Abraham's hope, though, as, as you come down here to verse 17, it says, he gives life to the dead, cause into being that which was, does not exist. Abraham's hope was not in this world. It was in the next. God had made some long-term promises to Abraham that he never saw fulfilled in his lifetime, but he believed that God would do that. 
as far as the land was concerned. He never received the land. He had to buy just a little portion of it for a place to bury his wife. He, he, he didn't own the land at that point in time, but God said it's yours. He believed God and believed that God would keep his word. Can we have that same assurance today that God will honor his word? If you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, many use that passage to say, well, you know what? You've got to work your way to heaven. You've got to be saved, plus keep the law there. You come down to verse 9 in that chapter. He says, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. What is it that accompanies salvation? It's all the blessings that God has for us. We're going to see some of them when we get into chapter 5. We're going to see more of them when we get into chapter 6 as God releases us from the, the power of sin and, and then eventually releases us from the, the, the presence of, of sin there. But when you, you read that chapter, he's dealing in that chapter again with Abraham. And he, he says in verse 13, God made a promise to Abraham. He, he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself. Skip down to verse 18. He says, in order that by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie. We may have strong encouragement who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. What are those two things? I believe it's the word of God and the character of God. Based on his character, based on his word, we know that we have eternal life if we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He goes on to say that hope is ours in verse 19, and it's entered into the veil in, in glory there. Christ has entered for us the forerunner there. We can put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when we read the promises of God, John chapter 3 verse 16 says what? God so loved the world. Some of you are awake. Okay, he so loved the world that he gave us what? Eternal life. Now, if we can lose that, it's not eternal life. Wrestle with that if you're of the persuasion that thinks we can lose our salvation. If, if you can lose it, it's not eternal life. You don't, you don't have it yet. If it's eternal life, it lasts forever. So if, if he's given it to us and it's eternal, then we are saved today. John 1.12 says, As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, the sons of God. There, Are, are we a child of God today? By works? By faith. If we believe him, we become part of his family. John 5.24 says, He who believes in him has eternal life. And in 1 John chapter 5.11 and 12, God has given us eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. Are you struggling with some doubts today? I, I remember as a young person, first year in college, wrestling with th these issues. I did not understand justification. I didn't understand sanctification. Didn't even, I've never even wrestled with those ideas before. And as a speaker was speaking, we always had a spiritual emphasis week at the beginning of the school year, presenting the message of salvation and so forth. And I looked at my life and I said, how can I be a Christian if I do some of the things that I do? You ever struggle with that? Ever have doubts about, are you really a child of God or not? And and so I went and I talked to the speaker about that. And his question was, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And I had done that as a child of about 12 years of age. Well, then he assured me that I had salvation. 
My faith was not in my ability and what I could do. My faith should be in Jesus Christ. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one that paid the price. He has purchased our redemption for us. Have you put those doubts to rest in your mind? You know, one of the problems with wrestling with that issue is you keep coming back to the same issue over and over again. You never grow in your faith if you're always questioning, am I really saved? Do I have to come back and be saved all over again? That's not what God has in, in, in mind for us today. The fact of the matter is we need to ask ourselves, do we really believe his word? Do we believe what he said when he has promised us redemption, when he has promised us salvation, or are we trusting in our own ability to get us to glory. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 again says, we're redeemed not with corruptible things, not with our works, not with our money, not with our silver and gold. We're redeemed how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we have justification? Can we be right with God today? Paul would say we can, because God gave us his word. God gave us his son, and he's given us the promise and the hope of eternal life. The important question that you need to to face, though, is have you accepted the sacrifice of Christ? Have you asked him to be your savior? It, it, It doesn't do us any good if we don't accept him as Lord and Savior of our life. So you need to wrestle with the issue. Have have you trusted in his promise and in his word today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great salvation that you have made possible for us. Not a basis of our own doing, not our works, not our resources, based on the grace of Jesus Christ, based on the blood of Christ given for us. Help us, Father, to recognize today in our hearts we can have that peace that you promised us, that peace with you as we walk through this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we think about that, we're going to celebrate the wonderful grace of God.